Game three of the NBA Finals is Wednesday night. The chess match is in full swing. Game one, the Warriors squeeze Celtic superstar Jason Tatum into three for 17 shooting. Then watch their strategy get turned upside down in the fourth quarter by a three-point barrage from the unlikely trio of Brown, White, and Horford. The Celtics win game one by double digits as if it was never in question. In game two, Jason Tatum breaks out with 28 points and shoots six for nine from three-point range. If you told me that before the game, I would have thought the Celtics would be in pretty good shape. But the rest of the cast can't deliver, and the Warriors cruise by 19. Steph didn't even play the fourth quarter. And that's why we're all tied up and headed back to Boston. What makes these teams so good? We know they both have multiple All-Stars, but it takes more than that. What are the strategies these teams are executing? What does it take to be great in today's NBA? So much has changed over the last two decades. We all know about the three-point shots, but what else is there? We're seeing great defensive teams. The Warriors were number three during the regular season, and the Celtics were number one the second half of the season. So it's no coincidence they're in the NBA Finals. What's going on on the defensive end? Today, we're going to learn about the X's and O's that go into championship teams from someone that has multiple rings as part of coaching staffs for not one, not two, but three NBA championship teams. Welcome to the Synergy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Milton Lee, Chief Reputation Officer at Synergy Sports and Basketball Pontificator Extraordinaire. On this podcast, I'll be talking sports technology with some of the key decision makers at all levels of sport, and finding out how technology is impacting the way games are being played and business is getting done. Today, I am joined by former Bulls head coach, Jim Boylan. He is currently the head coach of USA Basketball Men's World Cup qualifying team. This is the team that gets us to the Olympics. This team must qualify for the 2023 World Cup in order for our team to play in the 2024 Olympics. And this is no small feat. This team is put together less than five days before the competitions and with no current NBA players. It's like an episode of Survivor. He is also the camp director for the NBA's pre-draft combine and a regular on NBA TV. Coach Boylan has been part of three NBA championship coaching staffs, two with the Hakeem-led Rockets, and one with the Duncan-led Spurs in 2014. He has worked with the best in the business, Hall of Fame coaches like Rudy Tomjanovich, Tom Izzo, and Greg Popovich, and has been a head coach himself with the Chicago Bulls and at the University of Utah, where he led his team to a Mountain West Conference Championship and multiple NCAA berths. Coach Boylan, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Milton. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to see you. Awesome. Great to see you. We got a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. Some of the times we've spent together on the court and in practice prep, the first thing I noticed with you was that you took preparation and organization so seriously. There was not a rock left unturned. And to back me up, Sean Ford, men's director for USA Basketball, has said, in the past. With Jim, I think it starts with his attention to detail and his organizational skills. Why is that important in coaching and how did that become your MO? 
Well, thank you for, for having me on. And I, I think it starts back when I was a graduate assistant at Michigan State. You know, you had mentioned the coaches I've worked for. I started with Judd Heathcote, and I was an assistant with Tom Izzo. And Tom was very organized, and Judd was very organized. And I, I found out that they were able to deliver their message and stay on course because of what they, what their preparation had done for them. You know, they were the example of that. Um, and they were capable of adjusting because they knew exactly what they wanted. And if it got off path, they were so organized, they could kind of bring it back to path, Milt, if that makes sense. You know, they just, there was no gray area and they understood that the more organized I am, the quicker I can make decisions and the quicker I can make adjustments. And that resonated with me because the game happened so fast. I also think, Milt, something that you and I have talked about is I think a big part of life, but you know, just not coaching, is controlling the controllables, right? You can control your organization, your work ethic, your preparation, your attitude, your body language, you know, um, your intensity. Um, you can control those things. And, and I've learned from all the people I've worked for that when you control those controllables, um, you have a good chance of having success. At worst, you're organized. You can't always control the bounce of the ball, Milt, but you're organized and you can make adjustments and um, you can, most of all, help players get better. I think that was the first thing you said to our coaching staff at the Combine this year. You said it the first day, and you said it every day. Control the controllables. We know that things are going to go sometimes not as planned. That happens in the NBA. But you reiterated that message to that new staff, bringing them together. Control the controllables. Um, so I don't want to pigeonhole you. You are known as a defensive expert. Yep. And I know that your offensive um, philosophies have evolved, and we're going to get into that, especially how the analytics play into that. But I'm a little curious because I know quite a few teams, both in the NBA and college, have you know tapped you for uh, consulting and insights, and, and some of them are on record with, uh, we couldn't have had the season we had without Coach Boylan's input. Um what is your defensive philosophy? What do you bring to these teams that they may not otherwise see? What do you believe in? Well, I believe in simplicity. Um, and with that, that, that's an easy thing to say, but I want to develop the skills to become a good defender. And it starts with your understanding of some basic principles. For instance, uh, Milt, you've heard me talk about the geography of the floor, okay? You have to understand how to read a map, well, at least back in the day, right, <laughs> to find your way. You had to understand how to open the map, how to read the map, where north, south, east, west is. So I'm a big believer in labeling the floor and having guys have the ability to find their way on the floor, understanding their position and ball position. So it starts with, with me there. Do you understand what the middle third is, the outer third? Do you understand what the slot is, the corner, the wing? Um, do you understand what the line of the ball is? 
Um, and I've used, uh, you've heard me talk about my rope that I use to explain the line of the ball. So for players to be good defensively, we think about athleticism, we, we think about speed, we, we think about toughness. I think it's about recognition and an understanding of the position condition of the ball. So where is it on the floor and what is happening to it at this time? Is it pressured? Is it loose? Is it free? Is it open? Um, and where am I in that situation? So uh, that's what I start with, stance, position, vision, um, no negative steps. You know, we can't demonstrate right now, Milt, but a negative step is moving the foot in the direction you want to go first is a positive step. Moving the foot that's not in the direction you want to go first is a negative step. Negative steps make you twist and turn and you get beat. So again, we're, we don't have the visual of that, but I've given clinics on that. It's, it's online about the line of the ball and no negative steps, stance, vision, position. So it all starts there and it's not complicated, but it takes habits. So I give Boston credit, Emil. They started the season with the scheme in mind. Coach Udoka had, this is how we're going to play. Well, Milt, it took them two months to kind of get those habits down, right? And then they got healthy, they got the habits down, and their defense took off and was the best the second half of the year. That's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, um, the basics, they become habit, they become instinct. And the one thing that you and I have talked about is I want instinct to replace thought. When guys have to think, it's very difficult um, to play. When guys can react and play, um, they have success at both ends. And I'd like to go back to one thing you said about a defensive guy, offensive guy. This is what I explained to people. I love defense. I think you uh, can impose your will uh, on the defensive end of the floor um, just like you know, Golden State does sometimes on the offensive end of the floor, right? You can impose your will and your style. I like that. I also have not been around any championship teams, ones I've coached. Uh, Utah, we were a terrific defensive team. Indiana, San Antonio, uh, Chicago, uh, we had a great year where we were, we were top five. That if you're a good defensive team, Milt, you're going to win more than you lose. And, and I like that. I like that, that feeling. And I'm sh shocked that more teams don't focus on the defensive end of the floor, don't put the effort in. Um, it starts with the summer, and um, it starts with those basic skills and that development. But I just wanted to clear up one thing. To know defense, Milt, you have to know offense. Yep. To really know defense, you have to understand what the offense is trying to get, what they want. And so Rudy Tomjanovich had a saying. I thought it was really powerful. He used to say, let's make their good defense work for us because we understand what they're trying to do defensively. So I that, that stuck with me. So as much as I'm a defensive guy, I do feel, I'm saying this humbly to you, Milt, I do feel I understand offense, and it's helped me prepare defensively. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that um, you also believe 
a great defense is the start of a great offense. Those turnovers, that defensive rebounding, you can't have a great offense without getting it started on the defensive end. Yeah, and, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a psychological thing to that, right? I'm going to go out and sacrifice myself for the team defensively. I'm going to communicate. I'm going to be in a stance. I'm going to go from assignment to assignment. I'm going to have maximum effort, okay? All those things. And there's a selflessness in that. There's an unselfishness to that that I think at the offensive end, now it just comes to you because you're in the right frame of mind. You know, I've I've said it before, like your spirit is in the right place, right? And it goes back to controlling what you can control. You can control your communication on the defensive end, your effort, your stance, your position. And so I I think that's what, what you said is about turnovers and getting stops and long rebounds and running out. I think it goes even deeper than that, Milt. Um, it's a gut thing. You know, it's a spirit thing. Yeah, yeah. So you brought up the Celtics. What an interesting season, right? They they were struggled early on. There are question marks about the combination of players. and um, But Brad gave Ime the confidence to continue – teaching what he was doing. So what, talk to me about what you see in that journey and what they do really well on the defensive end. Well, first of all, I think their defense that Ime wanted to play, that they play, is perfectly um, matched to their personnel. And Smart being a big part of that and Horford, being a big part of that, and then Grant Williams also. We know Tatum and Brown have size and positional size and all those things. We, we know that. But um, that's the first thing. Ime had an idea of what he wanted to do, and it fit the personnel of that team. Whatever, I don't know what came first. This is our personnel, and this is what we're going to do, or this is what I'm going to do, and we're going to get these guys to do it. And then – Smart at point guard isn't talked about enough, right? So now the head of your defense is the defensive player of the year. Your on-ball defender for most of the game, right, is the, is, is the best defensive player in the NBA. Think about the power in that and then the way he leads with his effort, taking charges, um, being physical. So – uh, Ime was a tough guy, uh, Milt, and Ime was a good defensive player. So I think he's able to communicate what he thinks is important. He put it into a system. But here's where I think the NBA, and uh, in, in sometimes in situations, is tough. When things don't work right away or things don't happen, there's an antsiness. There's well, we got to go. We got to go in a different direction. We got to no. We can't do this with this group of guys. No, it's not habit yet. It's it's not part of them yet. Chuck Daly used to say it takes 25 games to kind of know your team, and I think it takes 35 games for a new or young team. And this is every year, Milk, because every year your team is different. So. Why would you do any adjustments, you know, uh, in, in 10 games, 15 games? I, I think you got to give it 25 to 35 games 
evaluate it openly and honestly, and then make your adjustments. But, I mean, they took off. And, you know, I've always marveled at Tom Izzo, uh, Milt. He stays with it. He's 80 to 20 offense, or excuse me, defense to offense till about Christmas, right? And then all of a sudden, he starts working on his offense, but his defense and rebounding is established. And what do his teams usually do, Milt? They usually get better and better and better. And he's been to what, seven Final Fours? I mean, you know? uh, when you just brought that up, it immediately clicked. The journey of the Celtics went on is Michigan State every single year. Yes, they exactly take, right. They play the toughest guys they can play. Early on in the season, they get battle-tested. And they're kind of, you know, entering the Big Ten Conference and you're not sure how they're going to do. And all of a sudden, come tournament time, nobody wants to play them. And then there's, I think there's another layer to that too, Milt, that I think is really important for young coaches. And I think it's important for people who follow the NBA. You get into the playoffs, you don't reinvent the wheel, Milt. You don't, okay, now we're going to make these adjustments. And now you do what you've done all year. You react and play because your habits are built. You don't change things. The playoffs come down to defending, rebounding, and getting quality shots. So, And the pressure is so great in the playoffs, Milt, as you know. The, every matchup is examined, right? Every The media, every game is on national TV. Um, the players feel it. They have family in town. They have, you know, Pop used to tell the guys, during the playoffs, hey, have your family stay in a hotel. You don't need the distraction. It's time to focus. It's time to be ready to go. Because he understood how much pressure is on every game, every possession. And if you're thinking about a new scheme in the playoffs, Milt, if you're thinking about a new offense or a new wrinkle, now you can add an after timeout play. I'm not saying that. But we want instinct to replace thought. And I think the two teams in the finals – have, have done a great job of that. And well, uh, a couple things that you just mentioned, uh, the, the commentators last night mentioned that Al Horford has 12 family members uh, in San Francisco. Yep. So let's multiply that times the 12 active players. That's 144 yep. people added to your traveling party. Um, and then I'm sure when it goes back to Boston, that number is going to double or triple. So the added noise outside um, it, it's kind of comical to me. People were so critical of Boston that first game about how they weren't meeting Steph at the level on those picks. And that was the first quarter of the game. That's what happens in the finals. There's so much going on. There's so much. And then the instinct takes over. They make the adjustment. They realize they have to do what they did all season. What coach was preaching all season long, they get back into it. But I could totally understand how overwhelming that moment might be. Oh, it is. It is. It's 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 a so powerful. And remember now you, you you got you know you got ticket issues and you got uh your agent, you know, obviously wants you to play well. You you might be in a contract situation. Yeah. Um you want your team to win, but you also you want to impact the series. Come on, we all have an ego, right? We all yeah, want to, yeah. we all want to play well, and we all want to be part of it. Come on, I mean, you know, they had Jordan Poole, you know, uh, buried after Game One, right? Right. You, you know, it's just this. You got to handle this up and down, and 
the momentum of the series and the media and all those things. And it's part of it. And, you know, uh, what Golden State has done to get back there and with their core guys, right, Curry, <laughs> Green, and Thompson, and now they have Wiggins and Poole and, and Looney. I mean, what they've done, Milt, I, I, I don't think it's – bragged on enough you know I don't think it's talked about enough it is so hard to get to the finals especially in the west I mean the east is better let's face it but still the 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 west to get to the finals in the west is is so difficult and with the talent there and the style of play so I just I'm I'm in I'm marveling at both teams um and what they've done how Boston did it and then what Golden State has done and I think what two years ago or three years ago, Golden State won what eighteen games or am I yeah. something like that? You, know? you bring up a great point, and uh, and I do think you know the Golden State guys. I know them, and and uh, there is a humility about that staff. Um, I've been lucky enough to be at a dinner with the Golden State uh, senior execs, and they they've said this doesn't happen. We are extremely lucky. Make sure you enjoy and acknowledge the moment we're in, um, because, as you said, um, and you have three rings yourself, this is just not normal. I want to go back to something that you touch on. You know, coaching is oftentimes making sure that everyone's on the same page, um, making sure that the principles you play by, uh, the the selflessness that you show each teammate, it's all consistent and high energy. However, you did mention to me once there was one team, one team there you were on the coaching staff of where those guys could make those adjustments on the fly. And it was the Tim Duncan-led 2014 uh, Spurs team. Tell me about that. What role Tim played in that? Um, and, and maybe an example here or there of uh, what that team was like. Well, I was really, you know, blessed to, to be able to go there. I was with Indiana and um, was able to uh, get hired by the Spurs and, and go there and be part of that team. I, you know, I say I, but we, we benefited because in 13 Milt, they lost a heartbreaker, right? At Miami, uh, the way that whole thing played out was just heartbreaking. And that team the character of that team came back and was so focused and so together. Um, and the beauty of the Spurs at that time, and they're kind of doing that now where they keep a group of guys together, Milt, which doesn't happen very often, right? So they kept that group together, Ginobili, Parker, Duncan, Bonner, uh, and then and then Diaw came on board. You know they kept the group together, and there's power in that. And the Spurs are elite at sticking to their principles. So to them, it starts with character. Your character as a man, your character as a player, and then how do you affect the effective field goal percentage? Right at either end. Okay, and Matt Bonner plays there for ten years because he can. He can shoot the ball, right? You know, he affects the effective field goal percentage uh, in the game. So that's the foundation of that character. And, and you know, 
the Spurs were great defensively because of their ability to communicate, their ability in that season to change defenses on the fly during a timeout. Now, that's very, very difficult. That's not how we did it in Houston. You know what I mean? That's not how it happened in Houston. Still a great team, great champions, but not the way we did it. So um, the fact that you could, in the finals, give LeBron three different looks in a quarter, and LeBron is, you know, great, great, you know, one of the greatest players ever, it's still an adjustment for him, right? And so because that team was so tied together, because Tim was so intelligent, he could go from a show to a drop to a at the level to a switch to, you know, <laughs> he, he could just communicate it and run that defense. And Pop demanded that. Um, and he emphasized the fact that we're going to be able to change defenses and we're going to keep people a little off balance. The other part that people don't think about, uh, Milt, so Golden State is a great defensive team. Um why is that? Well, do they have a whole bunch of dynamic defenders? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, Draymond is a, is a dynamic defender. Clay uh, is good, maybe not what he was. But the reason they're so good defensively is the ball comes out of the net a lot, right? And when the ball comes out of the net, you can set your defense. Well, that year in 14 with the Spurs, the ball came out of the net a lot. And we had Kawhi Leonard, who could guard the whole side of the floor by himself. He would take the main matchup. And here's here's an example of what I'm talking about. So we're playing at Indiana that year. And Indiana's good. And they had beat us at our place in, in November. And they had David West and Paul George and George Hill and Roy Hibbert. It was a good team. It was a conference finals team the year before. And we got into the fourth quarter, and they were they go to their pick and roll with Hill and David West. Hill gets middle to his right hand. David West, uh, short rolls. You know his fifteen footer was money. You know wherever it was, he was going to knock that down. So we we switched the matchup, and we put Kawhi Leonard on David West, and George Hill was on Paul George, and we switched that in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter. And we were able to make that adjustment, and we ended up winning the game after being down. That's just an example of what you can do with guys that can think and versatile guys. Young teams, Milt, that's really hard to do because the habits haven't haven't been established. But also, for a veteran guy, the game slows down. Think about the experience that team had. Ginobili, Diaw, Duncan, um, um, Bonner, you know – you know, just right on down the line. And then we could play small, we could play big. That helps. I think Boston is is pretty good at that. I, I think we've seen in the in this series that Robert Williams on the floor in this series is maybe not the best situation for that team, right? So they've they, when they've played small, I think they have great success. Um, and, and we could play that way in San Antonio. So I've kind of given you a long answer here, but – the versatility, the intelligence, the experience. And, you know, Tim Duncan saw the game in like, I don't know, there's 3D, is there's 10D? Is there 10D, <laughs> Bill? You know, 
Tim Duncan you know, saw, uh, saw the game in 10D, you know? I want to make sure that the, our listeners remember how great those Spurs teams were. The highest career finals plus minus. Uh, Draymond and Steph are number three and four, and they've had a, quite a run in those finals. Number one and two are Manu and Tim Duncan. Um, yeah. Yeah. By, by quite quite a few. Um, so let's stay on defense for a minute. You've said in the past you got to pick the eighty percent of what you can guard. Um, talk to me about that, and then yes. tell me what you think the Warriors are choosing to guard or give up, and the Celtics are choosing to guard or give up. Um, yeah. Okay, so the. The, the whole premise on defense is we're going to try to make it difficult for you, almost uncomfortable for you to kind of get to your A and B, whatever that is, okay? We got to make your A really hard, and we got to see if you're disciplined enough to get to your B and C, okay? So, for instance, just an example. We're going to run a guy at Tatum, or we're going to double Tatum. Is he disciplined enough to give that ball up, right? Is their spacing on the second side going to be elite enough to where they can exploit bringing two to the ball, okay? So they're not going to worry about Smart. They're not going to worry about Horford. They're not going to worry about White, right? They're going to say 80% of their team is – is Tatum and and Brown, right? And 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 this 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 also applies to just offenses, right? We're not gonna guard, we're not gonna walk through 30 walkthrough plays, Milt. You know what I mean? We're gonna guard their top five actions by our frequencies, by our scouting, uh, by using synergy, right? We're, we're gonna use, we're gonna get their top five actions. And we're going to defend those five actions. That's what we did in San Antonio in 14. We guarded Miami's top five actions. We walked through them. We had two or three ways to play each one if we needed to go to that. And we could do that with that team because of what you spoke about earlier, the intelligence of that team. What I see as a big problem in the NBA, and I've studied a lot of teams, and you and I have talked about it and consulted with, with some teams. I'm going to leave those those names out, Milt, but uh, you and I have talked about those things. Um, so when you try to guard the 100%, you guard nothing. It's no different than trying to be good at everything and being good at nothing. It's almost like a um, – it's just life. <laughs> you know, it applies to basketball too. And, totally. And so, so I started studying this and – you know, the one thing about not being a head coach right now is you have time to learn and grow and evaluate. And so the league has changed, as you've talked about, so much in the last five years. And in the last 20, it's it's just it's not even the same game, right? But what hasn't changed is you can't do everything well. So through your scouting, through synergy, through watching your film, through understanding how a team wants to play, how do they win? Well, they usually win with two or three things. Maybe it's transition. Maybe it's three-point shooting. Maybe it's slot drives. How do they generate offense? Well, 
we, we might not be able to guard all those things, but if we guard two of the three, Milt, or four of the five, we're going to have a chance at beating them. And remember now, 50-game season is a good season, Milt, right? You're going to lose 32 games in this league and have a good year, okay? <laughs> and so that's what people understand too is you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to pick things that you go home at night and you say, you know what, we're going to guard those things well. And if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. But I can sleep with that because we're organized. We, we've, we're ready for what most of what they do. And as the season goes on, we're going to get better at guarding most of what they do. Remember now, in the West, you're going to play a team maybe four times in a regular season and then maybe in a seven-game series, right? So a lot of teams in, in the league, their, their season is not geared to the playoffs, but a lot of it, and it is. Everything in San Antonio was about the playoffs. Being educated on a team, we would not show stuff till the playoffs came because we knew we were going to be there. Now, that's a different place than, than some teams, right? Sure, sure. But I love uh, you, you know, your analogy for how you prepare for life. There's so many things transferable in basketball. You know, it's uh, it, it, the, the idea that you can't do everything well, right? You have to pick and choose. Uh, I don't want my surgeon operating on my knee being uh, great at 15 other hobbies. I want him to be the best surgeon to operate on my knee. And it sounds like that's what you're bringing to your basketball teams. So you said, um, I think the quote was, the NBA changed more in the last five years than 50 years. I'd, I'd love to hear your insight in today's NBA. We're going to pivot a little to the offensive side. We've talked more about philosophies and defense and um, team building, but let's let's hear a little bit more about your offensive philosophy. What you've been seeing, um, yeah. what, what, what do you think? Okay, so every era, you know, has a different maybe style of play. You know, the '90s kind of how you and I kind of cut our teeth, right? In the, in the '90s with that that style of play, the physical, more half court basketball. Okay. That was a great era. So I don't want this discussion to be about this era was better than this. This era was better than that. The game has changed. If you don't want to admit that, we got a problem, okay? You're not watching what's going on. The pace of the game. Think about this, okay? People talk about players sitting out, and that's that's not my discussion to, to debate that, whether it's good or not. That's a, you know, Adam Silver runs the league and does a great job of it. But I will tell you this that the number of possessions have gone from 80 to 120 per team. So now the pace of the game alone, that that change, we run more. Now, an old-school guy like you who plays at the New York Athletic Club, old-school guy that bangs people around, right, good player, you would say, well, the physicality was more back then. Yeah, maybe that's true, okay? But I watched these playoffs last night, Milt, and it was just as physical as it was back in the, 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 the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Just as physical, okay? So, so the, the, the point is, is these guys, are their cycles up and down the floor, they're running now, is 40 more possessions per game. Now, a guy doesn't play every minute, but let's just say 40 more possessions per game times 82 games, Milt, 
right? That's that's we just know it's more. We know it's a lot more. <laughs> that's thirty. What is it? my math is right? Thirty two hundred <laughs> more possessions yeah. in a season over ten years. Over you know, the, it's a different game. Just that piece alone, people have to understand what it takes. Okay, and and how in shape you got to be, and the pounding on your body, and the travel, and all those things. Okay, I also want to just refer to something. The media attention now, the Instagram, Twitter, uh, face, you know, Facebook, uh, everything that has put that that has changed the game and put pressure on our players. Pressure is fatiguing. Okay, being under the microscope is fatiguing. The days where you leave the gym and nobody recognizes who you are, or nobody really knows if that's who this guy is, or guys can't go to dinner anymore because they take a picture of them having a beer, right? And now they're thought to be a bad guy or something, you know? So that's a big part of it too, a part of that change. It's just the social dynamics of being an NBA player. So now you got the pace, the social dynamics, which are fatiguing, right? And now you have, we have to guard more of the floor now. Now here's, here's the perception of a fan sometimes is, well, the players are bigger and the guys are longer and the guys are more athletic than they were, which is all true. So the floor must be smaller. No, the floor has gotten bigger, and here's why. There's the vertical plane and the horizontal plane, right? So the vertical plane now is changed from what it was, right? Because of three-point shooting, the depth of three-point shooting, but also the athleticism of the players. There's way more lobs now, right, Milt, than there was in the 90s. There's a vertical spacing to the league that makes the floor bigger. There's an extra two shooters on the floor from the 90s that makes the floor bigger. You have to guard more territory, which goes back to what I said about the 80%. You try to guard the whole floor now, Milt, you're losing. You're losing. You're getting your butt kicked, and your team's frustrated, and you're not winning. So I want to I want to hold off I want to hold right here because this yep. is uh, something we've talked about in the past. And talk to me about your philosophy of when teams used to ice and blue and why they can't. You just talked about two new shooters, you talked about yep. more spacing. First explain blue ice. Sure. Why it was effective in the past and why defensive has changed. So the blue ice terminology refers to Forcing the pick and roll away from the oncoming screener. So if the ball is on the outer third, the guard would jump up and influence that ball, connect and direct to the hip, and influence that ball to the baseline and sideline. The big would drop in a support roll. The other three defenders would shrink the floor, and the opposite big back in the day was usually opposite the screener, low. So now you had built-in help on the second side, all right, with built-in smashdown guys and X-out guys on the second side. Well, now the opposite big may be on the first, in the first side in the corner, right? The opposite big might be at the top, and you might be able to shoot that ball. Most of them can, right? And that's what people realized in the last 10 years is, well, I don't need to play a 6'10 center. If I play a 6'7 shooter, I can move him around and I can limit the defensive uh, 
ability to be in the bluer ice because the bluer ice was created, Milt, to take the creativity out of the pick and roll because you can't get middle. Ideally, right? Ideally, you can't get middle. So they tried to take the creativity out of the pick and roll, and it worked for a while until the league figured out that if I balanced the floor and put corner spacing, and if I had an extra shooter in there, God, that's 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 a little tougher to ice in blue now. Here's the other thing. The rules changed. Mil, nobody talks about it. You can't direct guys like you used to. Derek Harper used to pick you up with his right hand and carry Kenny Smith around the floor. And Kenny Smith was a good player, but Derek Harper was strong and tough, and he would he could hand check you, right? So they took away with a hand check, but they still let you put an arm on people. Well, now there's less contact than ever. The blue defense, when you get up on a side and force a guy down, okay, you're giving him an avenue to the rim. You get side saddle on Doncic, LeBron, Tatum, Brown, um, Steph Curry. You get side saddle on these guys in a blue ice stance these days, you're yeah. done. So you're done. It doesn't so work. It doesn't work anymore. So that's my philosophy on pushing it to the screen and bringing two to the ball and all those things. Because you- so is the Golden State's death lineup what what ultimately crushed the blue? Like, <laughs> did that put it out the pasture? That and also they went five out. Yeah. So that's the next thing in this. People went five out with their five on top of the floor, where he could facilitate and playmake. And Golden State started this around 2012 and. Draymond Green was a big part of it, right? So our whole life in basketball, it's been opposite big, help opposite big, right? Milt, you know, he covers up and then we help him and we help the helper and we stunt and recover and do all those things. Well, five out, put a monkey wrench in that because when the ball's in the middle of the floor, there's no first side or second side. There's no weak side or strong side. The ball's in the middle of the floor. Well, whose help is it, yeah. right? And that's those are the kind of things that have happened. And the offense has been ahead of the defense, okay, in the last 10 years. The defense is starting to catch up because people have gone small and switched. People have gone small and switched, and they learn to scram, and they learn to rotate out. So um, I think the blue is more outdated every year, the ice. Um, I think it's important to push the ball to the screen. If you're a young coach, you need to – Study that because when you push the ball to the screen, you have options. You can show, you can hedge, you can flat hedge, you can blitz, you can switch, you can late switch, you can corral, okay? Whatever your terminology is, yep. you can, but, your, but your stance on the ball is consistent for the guard, Milt. You don't want the guard peeking like, am I blue? Am I? Right. And this is where you see in the league where – the teams that try to guard everything, they have a blue with the five. They have a switch with the four. They guard nothing. And the guard is stance is being changed, and they don't understand what's coming at them, and they're peeking, and they're getting blown by. There's 14 sneak drives per game in the NBA. Those are, those are drives where a guy drives opposite the screen. Some people call them rejects, sneaks, rejects. Sneak yep. is not necessarily a pick and roll, just a sneak baseline. But when that guy jumps up in that blue stance, Milt, and his big's not ready or didn't call it, now you got a straight line drive. Straight line drives kill you, right? Kill you. Kill you. So 
Yep. These five outs, it's interesting. I saw some metrics the other day. Um, Vlade Divac in 2000, fantastic passer. Uh, some of what he was known for averaged a little over four assists per 100 possessions. Nikola Jokic in today's NBA is averaging close to 12. He's averaging close to three times as many assists. That puts so much more pressure on the defense when all five can pass out. There was another article in True Hoop talking about the center position being the most difficult position. You're rim running down. You're trying to for, you're trying to get Horford. You saw it last night. He was doing a great job rim running, sealing. Then he comes out, high pick and roll. Then he flares corner. Three-point attempt. I mean, talk me through what just the center is doing, Coach. Well, the center, the, the, the center's motor and conditioning has to be as good as anybody's, okay? They are the, 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 the generator, you know, the, the electrical system that makes most of the offenses go in the league. You say Jokic. What about Bam, right? Bam's in every dribble handoff, every toss situation. Every uh, SHO, you know, stationary handoff, he's in every action. Jokic is in every action. Um, you know, Horford's in a lot of actions. Draymond Green is in every action facilitating from the top of the floor. So they um, are very, very important to NBA offenses. Um, if you find a good one, you got to hang on to them, right? Uh, because they can generate shots for other people. And when your five can facilitate from the middle third, right, you're very difficult to guard, Milt. Very difficult to guard. And it's not always five out, but it's a lot of it is five out. But the other thing is, is extra playmaking, extra ball skills. You played, I played. When you play with guys that know how to dribble, pass, and shoot, and there's more than one or two of them on the floor, the game is fun, right? Yep. The game is good. So we talked about the changes in the league and how it's changed. The skill level of more than one or two guys on your team is different now. It's totally. elite. It's elite. And then and then your ability to play over the top of the defense with vertical spacing and three-point shooting. And you know, that's that's a huge part of it too. The center plays into all that. So you, you look at the thing and you say, well, where's the Patrick Ewings? Where's the Akeems? Where's the Mutumbos? Where's the, you know, these Hall of Fame great centers? Well, obviously Jokic, but their skill level has been transformed where they can play in the five-out system. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Dream couldn't have done that. Duncan did some of that. Tim could dribble handoff and stationary handoff, and he was an unbelievable passer. But it wasn't as prevalent in the league, Milt. Right? That's that's the thing. That's the change yep. that's happened. I want to I want to talk a little bit about you. You have the unique insight of seeing Hakeem at the highest level, taking his team to the promised land, literally on his back. Tim Duncan uh, being one of the greatest at his position, one of the greatest winners. Talk to me about the differences in those two individuals, their mindsets, their approaches to the game, what they were like as teammates. I know we're pivoting a little here, but I, I'm so curious what you saw. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this about both of them. They were kind 
and they were gentlemen. And for as famous and, and as good and as successful as they were, I think that's a really important thing to say for me, Milt, that um, the way they treated me as a young, young coach and in, in Houston, and then the way Tim treated me for a guy that just, you know, came into there and was new to the place. Um, as gentlemen, man, I just so thankful for both of them. Akeem was the most athletic. He won all the sprints in, in when we, when we run sprints, he would win the sprints. He's the fastest guy I've ever seen. And remember now we had Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell. Okay. Those guys were really, really fast. Okay. So uh, dreams, athleticism and power and strength and hand strength in, in his hands. If the ball hit the first cell of his finger, he was getting it. I'm just, you know, he was getting it. Remember now, Mil, he had quadruple doubles, right? Blocks, points, assists, rebounds, and sometimes he'd have steals. He could have had a, uh, what's, how do you say a five double? What's that? Quintiple. <laughs> Quintiple. I mean, I mean, you know, he, he, that's dreams athleticism, but here's where he was really cool. He was so competitive. He would play one-on-one after practice. He played every day in the summer over at Fondy Gym in Houston. He would organize the games and get the guys there. He just loved to play, and a lot of big guys don't. Now, I I know he loved basketball, but you know what he loved? Competing. He's the most competitive guy I've ever been around. It bothered him when you passed him on the highway. It bothered him. You know what I mean? It bothered him. <laughs> and 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 that's to his credit. And he was always in shape and conditioned. And he played all the time. He developed his jumper. He had a jump hook with both hands. Um, he would kept his game very simple. He would look middle and go middle. If middle wasn't there, he would counter. He knew how to point the toe to the midpoint. And he could cover ground with his crab and his crab dribble, and he just was an elite competitor, highly skilled, and he played in the perfect system. You know, Rudy put him in that right, or excuse me, that left box. Some people call it the downside. And we rotated everybody around him, and he had automatic reads. If that guy was covered, he knew that guy was open. He could close his eyes and find those guys, Ellie and Maxwell and and Kenny Smith, he knew exactly where they're going to be. So if the first option was covered, he'd go to the second, third. If everybody was covered, one-on-one, Milt, there was nobody better than him at that time. Nobody, right? So that's him. There's a quarterback out of the post. It sounds like he was reading. Exactly. And then he could face, and uh, and then he improved his 15-footer. Now, remember now, the physical beating that the big men took back then, you know, the forearm in the back and the physical beating and the style of play, um, his ability to play at the level he did for as long as he did is just just amazing, which lends to his athleticism and his toughness. Um, all right. And then Tim, you know, I, I was with Tim, you know, later in his career. I think he had been there, what, 12 or 13, 14 years already. And 
What amazed me about him was his work ethic. So he would go to his own basket, he'd put his headphones on, and he would do his drill work and his fundamentals. You know, Shaq calls him the big fundamental, right? You know, and all that's true. But he had a rhythm and he had a work ethic. And he was very athletic uh, and very intelligent. He saw things quicker than anybody saw him. And he had such uh, standards. And I talk about that with him, but also the Spurs. You know, Spurs weren't big on rule books or these are the rules here. You know, Pop would never talk like that. Uh, be respectful to what we're doing and honor our standards of behavior and play. And he could do that because Duncan set those standards of work and play and intelligence and simplicity. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think anybody set more, set more pick and rolls in the last 20 years than Tim Duncan, right? For Ginobili, for Parker, for Avery Johnson, right? You know, I mean, Tim set more pick and rolls uh, and sprinted out of the post to set more pick and rolls than, uh, you know, anybody I've ever seen. But, you know, if, if just to recap that, I know that's a difficult, a long answer there, but their character, their competitive spirit, and their ability to improve. And I tell this, you've heard me say this at the pre-draft camp. Even Tim Duncan had to get better in the NBA. And as he grew and as he got older, he got, he got better at, um, you know, being a facilitator, right. Playing off the ball, not being maybe the, the, the primary guy on the team. Leonard Ginobili took his place. Parker took his place, but he was smart enough to figure that out and, and understand it. And that just tells you about his intelligence you know, and, and how he was able to make that adjustment. Cause to him, it was all about winning, right? Yeah. It's all about you know, winning. You talk about the Spurs standards. I was lucky enough to be in training camp for a few days with the Spurs one year. And I remember uh, coach pop had the players do the most basic jump, stop, pivot, pass, fake, go foul line, half court, foul line, baseline hall of fame players five nba championships the standard from the most basic fundamental yeah. uh fundamentals of basketball he was instituting every single training camp talk to me about the differences between pop and rudy t both championship coaches both fantastic communicators what, what did you see that made them elite well, Pop's a teacher at, at heart. Uh, you know, that's his background, uh, a coach teaching. Um, he loves the basics of the game. I, I think he, he has a saying, it's about the basics. The team that can do the basics for more of the 48 than the other team has got, a, has got the best chance of winning. And so, you know, Pop's not one of these guys that says one thing and does another. Right. He believes that and he's going to coach and teach that way. And, um, you know, you've heard the saying out of San Antonio, less is more. Right. That's that's a that's a popism and that's a spurism that 
they just don't talk about. They do that. Less is more. But they also demand that their players improve. Pop talks about the ability to learn. He demands that his players learn. And, you know, Milt, we talked about that at the pre-draft camp, right? Your career will be defined by your ability to learn and get better. And Pop, his greatest attribute is holding guys accountable to that. I need you to improve at this. And, you know, Pop's not going to tell you something 10 times, right? He's going to tell you once, maybe twice, and he's going to hold you accountable to that. Or there's going to be, you know, some changes made. And you go back to the guys they picked, the character of the guys they picked. With his coaching style, Milt, it was like a match made in heaven, right? Simple. I'm going to trust you. You have an obligation to the team. It's not an option to do this today. It's an obligation. I'm going to be obligated to you, and we're going to do this together. And we're going to have fun doing it. I care about you spiritually, mentally, physically. And um, I'm going to do everything I can for you to be successful. And so, you know, you hear about the Spurs, guys taking less to stay there. Milt, we've heard that. Well, I think it's because of the way – it's obviously because of the way Pop and RC run it and ran it. But also, you know, a guy felt fulfilled other than financially. Does that make sense? I mean, that that's what it was really about, you know. Totally. So uh, Rudy T was – people don't know this, but he started as a video guy for Bill Fitch. So Rudy T was a student of the game. He played for, what, 11 years. He was an all-star, all those things. He loved to grind, you know. I, 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 and he wanted to help people become the best version of themselves. Whoever it was, whether it was a G League guy, we added, whether it was, you know, we got Mario Ellie from Portland. He was had played in Belgium and was kind of a and and Rudy put him in our system and he just flourished and became a heck of a winning tough player. Rudy loved that, figuring out the pieces. Now Rudy coached a couple different styles, which I think is the real test of a coach. He could coach the half court game, he coached the young team in Francis and Mobley and Yao, you know. The veteran team, the young team, the transition style, the the, the walk it up half court style with spacing, you know he 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 had all that, you know, and it was it, it was really interesting to see him put it together. He was not locked into a certain style of play. He didn't have to play this way, uh, which I learned from him. But also, like here here's a great story about Rudy. So I. I get the job as the like one of the first video guys in the NBA, and I'm with I'm with the Rockets. They had two assistant coaches, Bill Barry, Carol Dawson, and Rudy T. And me, right? And Rudy's I get the job in June, and the first weekend I'm there, he says, "Hey, come out to my house. Be here Sunday morning at ten o'clock." I said, "All right." He goes, "Bring ten films with you, notebooks, pens, and we're going to go to work. I'm going to teach you how I want this stuff done." I go, "Okay, great." I get there at ten. Rudy goes, all right, let's uh, hey, let's go for a swim. I go, all right, okay. You bring a swimsuit? I go, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I go, no, I didn't bring a swimsuit. I got one for you, you know. So put a swimsuit on. We, go, we swim for like two hours, right? And let's have lunch. All right, okay, okay, great. You know. Day goes by. We have we have dinner. And then like <laughs> 11 o'clock, Rudy goes, 11, 11 o'clock, Rudy goes, all right, let's put that tape in. Well, 
I had been up since like four in the morning because I was so nervous about going to the head coach's house that my first night there, like I, I'm falling asleep on the couch while he's, okay, now this is a side pick and roll and this is how we're going to run this and this is how we're going to guard it. And we got two guys lifted because that was back in the lifted days, right? And at the intersection of the pick and roll, the five's going to dive through the through the elbow, through the corner of the board. This guy's going to slide over to, you know, he's going through and I'm like falling asleep and I'm, I'm listening to him. But he just loved the preparation. He loved the teaching and he loved having people become better and grow. And he did that with me. And it was really a great moment. Um, That's a great and he story. Also, he also, you know, Milt, you know, he never had an issue with a player. Um. And he may have had it, but it never got out, right? Now, the media was different back then. But he coached Clyde, Charles, Dream, Scotty Pippen, Yao Ming, uh, Glenn Rice. Um, I mean, there's uh, Otis Thorpe, Maxwell, Smith, Cassell, Ori. And he drafted a lot of those guys, right? Never had an issue, no. That's Never incredible. had an issue. That's Never incredible. had an issue. Never had an issue. You know, and always got along with everybody. Was able to get his point across without getting in a you know a disagreement. Was able to get guys to kind of move in the right direction and share and and play together. And um, because of his personality, but also I think they saw he poured his life into it. Yeah, he poured his heart into it. He cares. And he cared. He cared. And yeah. and and so. Two great guys. So thankful for the opportunity to learn from them and 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 work for them. Um, loved every minute of it. Coach, I'd love to hear more about the way you look at analytics. I, I know that you are a student of analytics. You are on top of what's evolving because you're in touch with Matt Kamoski from Synergy on a regular basis. <laughs> That's right. So I know that uh, I know that you're doing your research. Um, I know you guys trade a lot of ideas on how to use uh, the tech platforms, but talk to me about how your philosophy has evolved, what you look to them for, um, and if you can, dumb it down in layman's terms so that we can all understand. Well, sure. So, so there's, a, there's a knowing your team and what it can do, what it's, what it's capable of doing. There's a knowing the league, what is productive, what works. And your team is probably somewhere in the middle, Milt, right? You know, we probably can't shoot 53s because we don't have the guys, but we could shoot 30, right? Or, you know, we need to get to the rim more because we got drivers, you know, whatever that is. So that's your team part with respect to the league, okay? But I don't like when people say analytic stuff, ah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Here's what I tell people. It's very important. There's a great movie called hidden figures, right? It's about the women who in NASA, who figured out how to get us to the moon with the math. So you can fight the math in your life. You can say the math's not important in basketball. It is. Okay. It is the organizations that I've seen struggle in the new era. They're not aligned on what they believe in in the math. The owner might think, ah, that stuff doesn't matter. You know, I, why don't we play, you know, like the 90s Pistons? You know, they were tough. Why don't we play like them? Okay. Well, first of all, the game's totally changed since then. 
The referees totally changed since then, right? And we're not going to have those same guys, okay? So can your team from the top down, from the owner to the, to the video guy, can you be in alignment on what you believe in, okay? And here's an example of that. I think you have to play fast. It's proven, Milt, the math proves then in the first 10 seconds of the clock, you have a better chance to score. Your points per possession is higher because the defense isn't set up. It's proven. It's you can't fight that. So let's recruit some or let's let's draft, you know, some guys. Let's pick up some free agents who can run, right? Who can space the floor, spread the floor in transition and get down the floor. Okay. It'll help us score. All right. And when the ball goes through the net, you can set your defense. As you said, it all works together at both ends, right? So there's an example of that. You know, Milt, I was I had a discussion with Mike D'Antoni. Uh, we were in Vegas uh, last summer, and we had lunch, and he's become a good friend. And um, I'm always interested in his philosophy and everything he's done. And the one thing he talked about was getting up 53s when he was in Houston. And I, I said, how would you come up with that number? And he said, well, we studied it. And if we got up 53s, we were going to make 13 or 14 of them, maybe 50. Um, and if we were going to make over 13 threes a game, Milt, we were going to win. So why wouldn't we get as many threes up as we can? So if you translate that to, to today, Golden State limits Boston to 37 three-point attempts last night, right? And White. Horford and Smart go two for seven. Well, what happened the game before, right? They get 42 up, I think, or 41, and Hart, or excuse me, Smart, uh, White, and Horford make 15, okay? So Mike was worried about the attempts, not the makes. He knew if they got the right amount of attempts up, they were going to win. He understood the math. He also understood... Remember, you know, the seven-second thing in, in, in Phoenix, right? If we play fast, we have a better opportunity to score. People talk about them in the playoffs. Maybe they didn't win it or whatever. Well, in the playoffs, the game what, Milt? Sl- slows down, right? And so what, is, what did Boston try to do to Miami? They wanted to run and play fast because when Miami sets up in the half court defensively, they are tough as nails. And the Lakers were like that for years, right? For years. They had Gasol and Bynum. If they got in a half court with Kobe and Fisher, their athleticism, size, physicality, respect of the officials took over. If you got the Lakers in transition at that time, Milt, you could, you could give them a game. You could beat them, right? So, again, it all goes back to the math and how you're going to coach to the math and then – if your organization believes in the same things from top to bottom, now you can have a map. See, analytics are a roadmap to how to win for your specific team, okay? And if, if, if you can know your roadmap, know what your team can do, or know how you want to play and you're all aligned, now you draft and free agent to that system and to those guys. And that's what Golden State has done. Pool fit in to their system. Looney, Looney fit into their system. He creates pressure on the rim. He can facilitate. He can pass. 
He can be a receiver at the rim. He's smart as hell, and he can co- I mean, and he can can guard, and he doesn't need possessions to help them win. Yeah, and and so again, the analytic piece. There's we can get into all the numbers and how things work and points per possession and 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 you know all those things, but it's really about the commitment of the organization to be aligned in doing it. When I hear young coaches talk, well, I don't believe in that analytics thing, or that's that's bull. That three point, you know, I say, man, <laughs> you are miss missing missing the boat now. You don't have to necessarily understand it, but you can't discount it. And and you also have to know that the game has changed that way, just like the world, right? And what's everybody talk about now? Math, 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 math in everything. Yeah, big data. Big, big data, data in everything. everything. So don't be a knucklehead. Don't fight it. And – and understand it, have a base knowledge of it. I tell young coaches that all the time. I tried to do that at the, the combine with the coaches, Milt. You know, they got to understand yeah. it and be able to talk yeah. about it. Are you going to be an analytics guy? No. But um, now here's the last piece of this thing that's really important. 20 years ago, the players didn't have access to the analytics. They didn't, yeah. they weren't on the internet. We didn't see the points per possession all over the place or, you know, rebounds per minute or whatever it is. Just the coaches had it. When I was with the Rockets, we did it in a notebook with Rudy T. Yeah. We had a notebook of guys' points per possession, and we did it by film and, I mean, hours and hours of work. I still have the notebooks, you know. Well, then, then obviously the analytics came in, the computers and all that. But – you, you know, you, you, you just have to um, understand that the players are seeing what you're not. Back then, they weren't seeing what you weren't seeing, okay? Yep. And so yep. if you're going to talk to agents and players, they have all the information that you have. That puts them at an advantage, not you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when you say when you say you don't have to know, you just mean you don't need to know how the sausage is made. You need to know what the results. Yeah, you, are. Need, you need to, to understand what the results that. are. You need to understand. In in the middle of a season, you know what we're giving up, we're giving up the rim. Yeah. The most in the league. Why is that? Well, the analytics tell you we're giving up one point three two one on plays at the rim. Well, people say it's rim protection. Well, I think it's opportunity, okay? Rim protection is hard these days because of the position condition of the floor now, right? It's more to guard. It's bigger, all right? Here's a great example of this, okay? Mike Budenholzer made the commitment that they were going to take away the rim, and they did that. And they were 30th in three-point attempts, Milt, and 30th in three-point percentage defensively. They won a championship, Milt, because they made a choice. They made a choice. We're going to be good at this, and I'm going to sleep like a baby at night if they make 15 threes. But I know they're not going to do it every game, right? And I know they're not going to do it every night. In a seven-game series, they might have two games where they do it, but they're not going to have four. That's what I'm talking about by understanding it, you know, and having a feel for it and how your team operates and how you're going to build your team. And just because you know the analytics, Milt, doesn't mean you don't have to make decisions. Knowing the analytics doesn't help you guard the 100%. You still got to make decisions, educated decisions, 
on the 80%. That's, a, that's an important point. That's an important point. Yeah. I think yeah. people sometimes think the analytics are the simple answer. No. It's nothing simple in the NBA. Nothing simple about winning. No, no it's So let me let me I got one last question yeah. for you yeah. Um, yeah. about uh, the NBA finals and it's something that unless you've been in it you don't know. Talk to me about the intensity, the level of exertion, the the speed of the closeouts, the you know, mm-hmm. give me some reference points of preseason Regular season, first round playoffs, NBA finals. What is the mock speed? Of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, these yeah. guys are going like when Andrew Wiggins bobbles a ball uh, off his leg going in for a layup last night. I'm just saying to myself, that's because the intensity is so high and they're going so fast. Yeah. So I don't know if everyone I, realizes. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of break it down a. a, a in maybe a different way is the preseason is is urgent urgent to get you know back in shape urgent to get our system together um the regular season is uh, really competitive guys play hard possessions are important the playoffs is desperate milt it's desperate competition Draymond Green started that game last night with an edge like we haven't seen in the playoffs, right? He was hands-on everybody. He was bullying everybody, intimidating everybody because he was desperate. Now, I think he was desperate because of the playoffs, but desperate because they couldn't lose what? Couldn't lose two in a row at home, okay? So I'm not one of these people that buys into that players don't play hard in the regular season. I don't believe that but they play more desperate in the playoffs in the edge that they bring. You could argue Boston didn't bring the edge last night they had in game one. You could argue that. Now, did they not play hard? No, they played really hard, okay? But to win these games and watch a closeout game. If you want to watch good basketball, watch a closeout game. Team's up 3-2 and they're trying to close somebody out. The most difficult thing in sport is to close out a team because of the desperation and the edge that teams play with. The the championship coaches I've been around talk about maximum effort on every possession. They talk about competing on every possession. But I think the greatest thing in the playoffs is the ability to put the last possession behind you and keep your edge for the next, even if it's successful, right? If it's bad, right? You got to forget that and move on. Jerry Sloan used to say, can't play backward. Don't worry about it. Can't play backward. Well, in the playoffs, you can't play backward. And I thought you could see Boston last night a little bit. Milt, they were a little bit stunned, right? A little bit playing backward a little bit, like thinking about the last possession or what happened or where are we at. Well, the, the championship teams learn you just worry about winning the next possession with your effort, your attitude, your togetherness you know, your energy and, and those kind of things. And I don't, I don't think I answered your question great, but I, that to me is. No, is, I like that interpretation. Yeah, I, I get yeah, it. And I like that. I interpretation. think that's what it is. And remember now, this is what I don't think everybody really understands. Um, and I'm saying this humbly just because it's, when you've been in it, you kind of realize it. So 
they built a lot of new arenas around the league. Okay, Detroit just built one a couple years ago, and they moved downtown. The only thing from the Palace that went to that new arena, the only thing they take, they buy new desks, they get new chairs, they get new seats, they get new rims, they get new floor, they get new everything, scoreboard, everything, new building. The only thing that transfers to that building are those banners. It's the only thing. And the guys in their circle of fame or whatever that is, right? Because those things last a forever, a lifetime, right? Forever. And that's what yep. that's why people talk about the playoffs and this and that. That's why it means so much. You it yep. changes the trajectory of your life. It changes the trajectory yep. of your franchise. I mean, yep. when Golden State started winning these championships, I mean they're like the Lake, yeah. the Lakers back in the '90s, Milt. Right? I mean, come on, it's you know showtime. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's, and yeah. and so that's how valuable every possession is. That's how valuable every moment is. Every practice, every walkthrough. You could hear pins drop in these walkthroughs, these NBA walkthroughs that in the playoffs. You know, it it just people are locked in and ready to go because history's being made, and yeah. and. You know, Houston built a new arena, and when I go into the new arena, it's been a while now, but, you know, they, it was the compact center. When I used to go in there and I was with other teams, I saw those banners hanging there that I was a very, you know, yeah. s- small part of, but I was part of it, right? Yeah. And and so, um, to me, that's what this time of the year is all about. It's a legacy. It's a it's a thing that will last forever, and uh, that takes – work milk right that takes yeah. a dedication and a commitment for something to last forever you know so yeah anyways we're going to end it on that note coach this is a great in uh educational informative session touched on a lot of things you gave us a lot of insights i appreciate your time and i hope to see you soon coach well milk thank you so much i really value our friendship and um thank you for uh, developing and and running uh, synergy. Um, it's been really helpful in my career, and I just really appreciate you, Milt. I hope you have a great week. Thank you. Appreciate you, Coach. Thank you.